teaching text today is from Hebrew 2, 10 through 18. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, and bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, the children whom God, God has given me. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so he, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're continuing our uh, series in the book of, of Hebrews, and I wanted to start by giving just a little bit of uh, background to the book itself, uh, a little bit of what we know or, or really what we don't know about it. Uh, the book of Hebrews is really something of a mystery. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written. We don't know where it was written, and we don't even know to whom it was written. That title, Letter to the Hebrews, that you would see if you opened up your English Bible, is a title that's added many centuries later, and I think mostly because it, uh, maybe more than most of the New Testament uh, letters, quotes the Old Testament over and over again in making its points, and it's very much bound up in the life of temple worship and understanding how the, the Jewish uh, and Old Testament temple sacrifices and rituals work, and so at some point, the letter to the Hebrews got attributed to it. At, People at one time thought it was a letter of Paul. Maybe you've heard this, that Paul is the one who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Having looked at it in Greek, it's definitely not by Paul. I can tell you it just reads totally differently. Uh, if Paul has anything to do with it, he told somebody else to write it because uh, it, is, it does not read anything like how Paul uh, writes on his own. So we don't know much about this letter. But what we do know, what we can guess or, or infer from the clues that are in the letter itself, is that it was written by somebody who was not one of the original apostles. He talks about this truth being declared by Jesus and then being declared to us, he says, by those who heard Jesus. So clearly this is someone who either because of distance or perhaps because of time, a generation, uh, was not there to hear Jesus originally uh, say these words. And the audience, the, the group of people that he is writing to, seems to be a congregation or a community, a church of some kind, that is beginning to find its energy, its faith even, to fade. 
As the years have gone on, it seems that there was a lot of energy at the beginning. He even talks about at the beginning of chapter 2 that this uh, message was confirmed with signs and wonders, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But now it seems something has changed, something has faded. Perhaps that first generation of believers has begun to pass away. And people are beginning to wonder if Jesus actually is going to come back. It, Paul made it sound like, after all, he was going to come back any day now. And here a generation has passed and Jesus isn't back. And so they're beginning to question, well, what does this mean for any of us? What reality does this have? What does it matter that Jesus has come? Maybe this was good news for our parents, but how is it good news for us? I don't know if that sounds familiar uh, to anybody in the present. After all, we've been waiting two millennia, not two generations. So the author starts in Hebrews by describing just how amazing what has happened in Jesus is. And we heard some of this in our reading last week, right at the beginning of Hebrews. Uh, he writes this, Long ago God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son. And this is what he says about this son, Jesus. He is the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. Then as he goes on through chapter 1, he quotes psalms, several different psalms, as a way of sort of backing up that this is the sort of thing God has been doing the whole time. This isn't something new and out of the ordinary for God. Rather, this is the culmination of the plan that God has been building to. And so he works his way through the psalms. And then when he comes to the beginning of chapter 2, uh, he says, therefore, we must pay attention to this. Because if in the old days, if when our ancestors were being hearing messages from God, these messages came through angels, Today, we have the Son who is speaking to us, and he can even say, is even today speaking to us, even to us who were not there for his ministry. This Son speaks to us, the one who uh, sustains all things through his powerful word. And so he says this, how can we escape if we neglect this so great a salvation? He says, it was declared at first through the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard him. God added testimony by signs and wonders and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed to his will. This is worth paying attention to. If you think the Ten Commandments are worth paying attention to, this is even more so worth paying attention to, the author of Hebrews writes. And then he gets into our reading for today. And he starts with this word, which... Uh, the sentence, actually, which seems surprising to me. Maybe it doesn't to you because we've gotten so used to it, but just listen to this sentence that opens our reading. It was fitting, he says, that God, the one for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, it was fitting that God should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not seem very intuitive to me. Really, it was fitting that God would make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering? That doesn't seem usually how we think of somebody being made perfect. Uh, God, would, uh, God decided that Jesus Christ, the pioneer of salvation, needed to suffer 
it, and it was fitting that God did this? This was the proper and right meat and salutary thing for God to do? I mean, as Christians, uh, we know that, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus is what saves us, but it still seems like a strange thought. And if you've ever really talked with anybody who doesn't know much about Christianity and they uh, maybe are sometimes surprised to learn that it's actually not just a list of rules to follow, it's not just a social for the righteous, uh, and they learn that it's actually about God dying for us, taking on our sin and dying for us, that's a shocking thing to believe. And yet the writer can here just say that it was fitting. It was fitting, he says, because Jesus, who he's referring to, is the pioneer of our salvation. Now that word pioneer uh, is it's, it's a hard word to translate, but it's, what it is is it's the person who starts something who makes the way in the beginning and then so that those who come after can carry it forward. So you can think of pioneers uh, making their way westward, perhaps, uh, finding new uh, trails to blaze uh, so that those who come after them can follow in their tracks. Or you can think of pioneers in sort of a technology sense, uh, maybe the pioneer who founded this company or the pioneers uh, at NASA, who we just passed the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, uh, who made it uh, able to be land on the moon so that we have inherited all of this technology and this knowledge from that. Or you can think of it as a hero who founded something that we still get to participate in. So sometimes uh, there are these sort of legendary stories that come up in churches about the founding members of the church. And, and I, some of these names have been mentioned to me. And so I hear these stories about people I've never met whose legacy still lives on in this church. Sometimes we talk about this in the nation. We talk about our founding fathers of the nation, right, who, who came together and, and, and form our nation and whose work still lives on these centuries later in us. This is what Jesus is as a pioneer of salvation. He's come through and he's done what is needed to be done first so that we can live on in the name, in the work that he has accomplished for us. He is the originator of salvation. He is the progenitor of our salvation. He was the one who went to it first. And where does it take him? Into suffering and into death. Our reading puts it this way. Since the children, that is us, share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That word there is he might make powerless the one who has the power of death. He might sideline that one so that even if he's over there watching, he can't actually do anything with this power that he has. By undergoing death, Jesus Christ defeated the power of death and the one who wields it, that is the devil. And by doing so, the author writes, he set us free from the slavery that we are under because of the fear of death. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to think of myself as a fearful person. Sure, I can be anxious. Sure, I can worry about things, but fear just seems a little strong. 
And yet, as I think about the things that motivate my actions day in and day out, so many of them relate in one way or another to this fear. In fact, as I think about uh, groups such as our congregation and other congregations that I have known, so many, uh, so often, so many times, churches are motivated not so much by what they think they should be doing or by what they believe in, but by what they're afraid of happening. Perhaps you've known groups or churches that have been like this. Churches that are more motivated by a fear of dying out than by a love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the most fearful uh, enterprises I have ever entered into myself has to be the enterprise of parenting. I never thought I was a fearful person, and then I had a daughter. (laughs) Right? A daughter that I could not protect all of the time. I mean, I could do everything I could, but she would cry and I wouldn't know what was going on. Uh, if she slept too long, I'd worried that she actually was, you know, hadn't, that wasn't breathing anymore. And we'd go wake her up and check on her. It wasn't so much that with the second one, but the first one, we were just so fearful all the time. Because when you have a child and your part of yourself that you value so much is outside of yourself, and you suddenly don't have control over this person. And I'm told as uh, your children grow up and become adults, it only gets worse. So I have that to look forward to. Um, you're, you're aware of how vulnerable you are. And you're afraid of death. Not your own death, but of the effects that death might have on your children. Maybe not even literal death, but just the hurts, the wounds that happen, the pains that come. You're afraid that when they go off to school, they're going to be bullied and you'll have to comfort them for that. Or when they go off and they make choices that you don't think are the best choices, you're going to have to find a way to live with and love them regardless. And this fear is real and it is there, but it can motivate some pretty bad decisions. It can lead us to uh, overprotect. It can lead us to just throw our hands up and say, I want nothing to do with it. It's too stressful for us rather than to love and be close and be with them at all times. Churches are like this. Families are like this. Nations can be like this. In fact, the more I thought about this phrase, in slavery by the fear of death, the more sense it made in understanding a lot of the uh, bad behavior we see in the world around us. So many of us are acting, tightening up our fists in order to hold as much as we can out of the fear that we will lose something, out of the fear that we will lose perhaps our own selves. The irony, of course, is when you clench your fists like that, you're in danger of destroying that for which you have been set free in the first place. So I ask you the question, what fear is holding you captive? What fear is enslaving you? How has the power of death kept you from doing the things that you have been called to do? How has the power of death tightened you up so that you are not living in that fearless freedom for which God has created you? What sorts of things might you say if you were not afraid? What sorts of things might you do if you were not afraid? Who are the peoples you might stand up for if you were not afraid? Who are the peoples you might stand up to if you were not afraid? Because the truth of the matter is this. 
that Jesus Christ took on flesh and blood and entered into our suffering and our death so that death itself would be defeated. So that even though we undergo death, even though death awaits all of us at the end of our lives, it has no power for us. That we have a pioneer who has already been there. We have a pioneer who has already made a way through for us. A pioneer who has promised to come and to bring us to himself. To provide us everything that we need both in this life and especially in the next. This Jesus Christ is here with us today. Though it seems so distant, millennia ago, centuries ago, thousands of miles away, he is present here and now for you, offering the forgiveness of sins, offering love, offering promise, giving you freedom without fear. Amen.